at some point, somewhere in your experience, there was this sense that something's wrong. And you want to, of course, try and fix it. Based on your methods of trying to fix something that feels wrong is going to determine really the outcome of, of that part of your life. That was Tommy Rosen. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Yogi Misfit Sessions. We're back at episode, oh wait, I'm Danny Pomplune. You should probably know that. Well, maybe you already know that. Anyway, um, I'm back at it. Session 123, Tommy Rosen is in the house. Tommy Rosen, just like one of my other guests recently, was one of those ones where, man, we just couldn't track each other down and then we had internet problems. Um, anyway, he's up to a lot. I actually... Um, um, I study with Tommy's wife, Kia Miller, who is also a very, very awesome human. Uh, both just really good people doing lots of magic in the world. Um, Tommy and I end up talking about his Recovery 2.0 program, and it gets under the layers of not only addiction, but also like what we're running from. He's a super smart guy, always up to a lot. And uh, this is one of those episodes where I, I got a ton of wisdom from it. I, I found myself taking a lot of notes and just really, you know, reflecting on a lot of stuff they said um so yeah without further ado here goes uh tommy rosen on today's episode oh yeah leave us a review on on itunes give us some love blah 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 here goes the show (laughs) tommy rosen welcome to the show thank you danny it is such a pleasure to be with you Howard, so it's funny because we, we've tried doing this interview a few different times. Yes. <laughs> Apparently, we needed, we needed some ripening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. The, the universe was not ready for us to collide yet. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, how are you, brother? How are you doing? Everything's really well. Uh, this is a, a great time of, well, it's a great time of addressing uh, a great problem, which is the problem of addiction in our world. Mm, mm, I feel it. I yeah. feel it. And, and I think I think actually, if for anybody who's listening to this, if you think about your relatives, you think about your friends, you think about loved ones, uh, you're going to think of somebody likely that you know who struggles with this problem. Yeah, and I would even say everyone struggles with some you know sort of addiction in general. You know, it's whether it's you know a substance or a, a phone or something like that. Everyone's got some kind of some kind of level anyway. A hundred percent. I would, I would say that we're all on the spectrum. If one, yeah. Yeah. There's, 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 there can be overabundance of, of certain things in life. That is correct. <laughs> yes. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's so true, Danny. I think of it all the time that every human being is recovering from something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it speaks to the challenge of the language that we have. So that word addiction, for example, it's, it's very off-putting uh, mm-hmm. to a lot of people. It, it doesn't really explain i mean really the term should be more like the human condition mm-hmm. rather than addiction um right. so when i say everybody's you know deal on the spectrum i don't mean to to offend anybody it just means we're all we're all in a process of learning and becoming more aware well yeah it's learning how to give and take and to check your boundaries and check your bumpers and check your integrity and your values and all that and that takes time and uh it, it i mean I don't know. It takes time and also to be in this body and to be in this world and to experience that. It just, you know, Mm. it's it's part of the thing. 
Yes, it's part of the thing. Exactly. <laughs> it's a, there's, a, there's a lot with that thing, but there's it's part of the thing anyway. Yes, it is. So tell me, just a quick little back, like backstory. How, how, how and why Recovery 2.0? Yes. My story, when people ask me to tell them about addiction and how it affected my life, I often I'll just go back to the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, at least the beginning in this life, which is me in my mother's womb. Mm-hmm. And I'll explain that as a fetus, any, any one of us is subject to the chemistry of what your mother is experiencing. Mm-hmm. So that internal chemistry, with your, if your mother happens to be you know, happy, joyous, and free, sure. you're experiencing the chemistry of happy, joyous, and free right. in the womb. Right. If your mother happens to be stressed or angry or worried or anxious, then you're experiencing that chemistry. Yeah. So the initial chemical experience, which of course none of us can remember, and we don't, we don't have a, there's no cognition of this, but the first chemical experiences that we have are in fact our mother's chemical experiences. Yeah. So I start by saying, you know, you don't really need to know much more about me uh, in terms of addiction than what what my mother was going through, which was incredible amounts of stress. Um, a, a lot of uh, uh, she was an amazing woman on so many levels, and she was very stressed. And her way of dealing with stress was to drink and and to smoke cigarettes and to take some other drugs as well. And and while I was in the womb, that was just a part of the cocktail of <laughs> of what I was dealing with. And that's not to say by any means that I de- later on in life developed addiction because of what happened in the womb or because of, of what my mother was experiencing while I was in the womb. It's just a way of saying that there are influences uh, that create outcomes that are beyond our initial contemplation of addiction. So it starts there. I, I'm born into a world where there's a great deal of uncertainty. There's a lot of emotional violence in my home. My parents are at each other's throats for the first year of my life. And, and when I'm one and a half, they, they get divorced. So what does an infant feel in that time? We're getting into child, you know, child and infant psychology. You know, what, what the child feels or experiences is a sense of terror. There's something wrong. I have no way of understanding what it is or knowing what it is. I don't even know if it's, if it's got anything to do with me or not. I, I'm probably not even thinking on that level. I'm just in an environment where there's challenge. There's something that's not okay. That sense of something not being okay is at the root of all addictive behavior. It's really important that people understand that. You don't have to remember trauma. You don't have to remember insecurity. You don't have to remember not feeling a part of. You don't have to remember low self-esteem. You don't have to remember any of it. But at some point, somewhere in your experience, there was this sense that something's wrong. And you want to, of course, try and fix it based on your methods of trying to fix something that feels wrong is going to determine really the outcome of, of that part of your life. And the way that I decided to fix what was wrong um, for me, I was always in the early days led to addictive substances like sugar as a child or um, 
adventure, not being able to stop moving. That, that in and of itself can be an addiction. I went straight for the cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> God bless. <laughs> oh, I would get there. I would get there eventually. <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, it was always, you know, at first it was cannabis and alcohol and, and psychedelics and cocaine and heroin. And it ended, it ended badly. Yeah. Um, but all of that is just to say that um, this stuff comes from somewhere. There's, there's a reason why we, we develop these behaviors. There's a reason why we behave the way we do. Um, and there's a reason why when we put down drugs and alcohol, finally, mm -hmm. if, if we're fortunate enough to do that, we're going to find that drugs and alcohol were not the problem. That the problem that you may have forgotten was there long before drugs and alcohol came into the scene. There was a sense of discomfort, a sense of dis-ease, a sense of something's wrong, long before the drugs and alcohol. So in recovery, what I found was after the drugs and alcohol were put down, my core issues came to the surface. You asked me why recovery 2.0? Because most people only ever get as far as recovery 1.0, which is to think that if I take these substances out of my life, everything will be okay. I'll be perfect. I'll be fine. Then I can be happy. Then I can be contented. Then I can be fulfilled as if the problem was the drugs and alcohol. Recovery 2.0 exists because there's a further level of understanding, a further detox that's necessary, uh, different skills, different skill sets for truly being free, uh, truly being happy, truly being joyous in this lifetime. And, and why this is so important is because if you don't understand what I'm, what I'm saying, then you might get sober, as so many millions of people do in the world. You might watch your life get better, which of course is, is the goal. But then things start happening in your relationships, in your romantic relationships, in your relationship to money, in your relationship to food, and your relationship to your body. And things start to not go well. And you say to yourself, gosh, I'm two years or four years or eight years or nine years sober. Things should be better for me now. Why am I so unhappy? Why am I so miserable? And so many of those people end up relapsing. Many of them will end up dying. Some of them will come back and try again. And some of them will actually learn the recovery 2.0 concepts, which is that underneath, you know, all of it were your core issues and there's a way of dealing with them and yoga and meditation are a big fat piece of how we deal with those things. It sounds like it's like, it's the difference between being, you know, dry and sober when you don't have any of the substances in your you know, body is one thing, but if you're not actually dealing with the underlying, the reason why we put the substances in our body is because the things come up and we don't, for me anyway, you know, but the things come up and you don't want to deal with it. So it's easier to drown it out. Absolutely. Um, but at some, at some point, you know, uh, in, in, in what I've experienced in, in my own process through it, the, the noise gets so loud that there is really no amount of substance that can shut it out. Mm. Yeah, I think Mick Jagger said it best when he said, I just can't seem to drink you off my mind. Yeah. 
Um, and that, that's that concept of I, no matter what I do at a certain point, no amount of drugs or alcohol is going to solve this problem for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and that's, that's by the way, that's very painful, but that's a good place to come to. Right. Cause you're, you're coming close to your bottom, which means you're willing to tell the truth. You're able to tell the truth and you're willing to make a change. Right. So what happens in the, uh, in the recovery 2.0 process? Mm. Well, the first thing that happens is we learn to breathe. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds, you know, maybe pedantic or um, simplistic, but quite frankly, the breath is one of the most powerful things that we have. You, you as a yoga teacher, you know that, um, and you, you are in the business of transformation and you recognize that there is no transformation without the breath. So we, we have to learn how to breathe deeply. We have to learn how to use the breath in, in different ways. In yoga, of course, we call this pranayama or breath control. We, we learn different exercises. We learn to nourish ourselves on the inhale. We learn to let go of things that no longer serve us on the exhale. We learn on the exhale to use our words wisely. We use the breath to enter a meditative state. We use the breath for emotional regulation. And we, we become experts at this. So I, I coach people and I train people to be coaches. And we always, always begin with the breath. And, and people always say the same thing. And they think the same thing that I thought when my teacher said, if you pay conscious attention to breath, it will determine the depth of your healing mm-hmm. and how far you can go in this life. And I thought immediately, it can't be that simple. Right. It's too simple. I don't understand. Why, why isn't everybody doing this? If, this is, if the breath is so powerful, <laughs> you know, why isn't everybody using breath techniques? Well, thankfully, we live in a time where more and more people are waking up to the power of the breath. Also, we, we look at, you know, Recovery 1.0 is an important part of Recovery 2.0. So we don't bypass some of the early steps and and necessary elements of recovery for people in early recovery. You need a recovery program of some kind. You need a teaching to follow. Mm -hmm. You, You may need a teacher to help guide you through the teaching. And you definitely need a community. Right. So we stress these things in recovery 2.0. For me, I, I strongly advocate for the 12 steps. Change my life, very powerful. If you have a wise teacher that can help guide you through those steps, it can be the most extraordinary transformational thing. And it's a foundation for all the other spiritual and, and, and you know, work of evolution, personal evolution that you're going to do in your life. Mm-hmm. So we start there. And, and then we recognize the 12 steps aren't everything. They're, they don't use the breath. They don't work with stress management. They don't uh, help us manage the body and energy, prana within the body. So we need, and they certainly don't talk about food. So we need, we need philosophies and practices that help us holistically move to better places. So we can't leave food out of the picture. Right, right. We, we can't leave the body out of the picture. So we, we, with the 12 steps, you have a wonderful spiritual program. It has psychological elements, but not the physical piece. So yoga, meditation, combined with 12-step philosophy and other recovery modalities and other recovery philosophies is a very, very powerful way to recover. 
And I, I've never seen anybody fail, actually. Anybody who, who combined 12 steps in yoga or recovery philosophy in yoga has been doing pretty well. Why do you think it works so well? Well, you, you just look at the human situation, the human condition, we'll call it. People try to separate out you know, mind, body, spirit, but it's all one package. Mm. Your mind affects the body and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Your, your mind and body affect the spirit and vice versa. And, and, and mind, body, and spirit are married together into this one package. It's known as you. And addiction affects you at all three levels, mind and body and spirit. Mm. Recovery, therefore, our response to addiction must uh, work to heal you at the level of mind and body and spirit. Yoga has the elements uh, philosophically, um, practically. Um, it has this unbelievable history of you know, time-tested, proven techniques to help a person to wake up spiritually in every way. And so to combine that with a philosophy such as the 12 steps, which is designed to help people move out of addiction, it's just an unbelievably powerful combo. Hey guys, this episode is sponsored by blueblocks.com. They are advanced blue light filtering eyewear. I have been talking about these for quite a while now. Uh, These glasses come in multiple options and stylish frames. I have the clear frame glasses, which help block blue light from your computer because I end up doing a ton of computer work. Then I also got the nighttime ones and believe it or not, it has helped me get a better night's sleep by just wearing these one to three hours before the end of my day. I thought it was kind of weird and I tried it out and sure enough, it's actually helped me sleep better. Um, I've been rocking these bad boys for quite a while now and I can't recommend them enough. Go check out our friends over at www.blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com. And uh, yeah, check out the amazing stylish glasses that they have and get ready for better sleep and less eye strain. What do you think stops people from doing all of the things instead of just, you know, what, what do you think stops people from doing? I thankfully had yoga before I hit AA. So I had already had that, you know, meditation practice, I, I, I guess, to an extent, not, not, I, I actually, <laughs> this is another story, but I just now realized I, I was meditating very, very differently until I met Kia. <laughs> um, okay. But, um, my wife. Yeah, totally. One of the most amazing humans I've ever met in my entire life. Um, Thank you. Um, and, and so anyway, so I had, you know, I had, I had yoga beforehand, you know, and I had meditation beforehand and I guess I was lucky enough to have that and then go into AA and then figure, you know, that part and that portion out of it, you know, uh, what made sense and, and why it made sense. But why do you think people just stop at the one level of, you know, maybe just taking the substance out? Why don't, why is it that it's harder or more, um, I guess the challenging part is to really go into that shadow work? Hmm. Well, I, I think to a great extent, you're going to be influenced by your teachers. Right. If your teachers are strictly 12-step people and nothing else, that's what you're going to be exposed to for a period of time in your life. Mm-hmm. The 12 steps 
worked for me to the extent that they worked. And when other problems presented themselves in my life and I applied the 12 steps to try to work these other problems, it, it, it didn't solve. There was other work that needed to happen for me and I had to reach outside of the 12 steps. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, no one was there to tell me where to go. Right. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I was limited by the perception and the consciousness of my own teachers. When I found other teachers who had a more broad perspective, they could say, well, I've been where you are. I've had this thing, you know, codependency or, um, you know, uh, other core issues that I was facing. And I, I benefited from therapy. I benefited from yoga. Here's a particular approach to yoga, like Kundalini yoga, for example. Um, and I was able to, to tap in. So my answer to your question is, if you're not exposed to it or if nobody knows, like, this is what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, didn't you realize this is what you're supposed to do? Mm-hmm. No, I didn't realize it. Nobody told me. Right. So, so one part of it is no one's telling you and it's not yet standard. And when you get sober in the United States, what you know about, you know about treatment you know about therapy, you know about 12-step programs like Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, and that's about it. You hear, about- yeah, you hear yeah. a lot of like fix the, the – deal with the, just the, the, the surface level problem. You don't really hear anything further than that. Well, no, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, Danny. I mean I, I think there are a lot of people with great, incredible depth um, who work 12-step programs. Mm-hmm. I just think the – the suggestion that the 12 steps are going to solve every problem that life could throw your way, I think that's just inaccurate. Right. I think, you know, there are different uh, modalities that are, are, you know, created to help us through different kinds of problems. And, you know, human beings are very complex. There's so many different things that we face. And, there's, and thankfully, there's many, many different ways to heal. Many, many different ways to uh, move forward from the, the place where we find ourselves stuck, hmm. whatever that is. Um, another reason why I think people, you know, don't pursue everything that they could, um, two reasons. One is fear. Um, I think, you know, people are afraid of failing. Mm-hmm. People are afraid of the unknown. Right. So if I... If I heal from addiction, I mean really heal. Mm -hmm. If I'm not chasing anything, if I'm not craving anything anymore, what would I be? Who would I be? How would I pass my time? Wow, I've, I've just spent so much of my life chasing something, craving something almost all the time. What would I do? How would I be? And I'll tell you the answer to that question. You would be how you're supposed to be, mm. free, creative, spontaneous, living in the moment, rather than that, that hamster wheel of recreate pleasure, avoid pain. If that's all you're doing with this life, is recreating pleasure, avoiding pain, then your entire life is based on memory. Mm. everything is based in the past. You have a memory of something that was pleasing to you. Ah, let's recreate that memory of something that was painful to you. Ah, let's avoid that. Right. And that's addiction right there. 
And that's the addiction that we all have. So how to enter the present moment? How to be spontaneous and creative and free? These are the questions. And this is what I believe, um, you know, is a deeper inquiry that's available for people in Recovery 2.0. I think it's, um, I mean, I'm just thinking about that in, in, in not only in, in my own recovery terms, but just in, in people that I know, you know, not, that not, aren't necessarily dealing with, you know, addiction of like drugs and, and alcohol, but in the way that they date or in the way that they, you know, shop or, or, or you know, things like that, it's that sense of avoidance can be really hard because, you know, when we look at it, when we boil it down, it, it's asking us to go in and look at our own shadow work or look at our own stuff. And that, that requires personal responsibility. And that is hard. Yes. Well, absolutely. So you've got, there's fear again. Um, you know, another reason <laughs> it, it, it is difficult, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It seems more difficult than just not doing this work. Mm -hmm. It seems like you have a choice, but unfortunately that's a complete illusion. Mm -hmm. You don't really have a choice uh, in this matter. I mean, you can choose to be just unhappy, mm -hmm. um, but what I mean is, yeah, you, you have free choice, you have free will. But when I say you don't have a choice, what I mean is the choice doesn't look very attractive. Mm -hmm. You can stay ignorant, or what you, what you, you know, you can sort of stay where you are, fight the natural evolutionary impulse of the universe, try to stay still, try to stay as it is, try to keep the status quo, but, but you're going to suffer inside and, and you know that you need to learn and grow, you know you need to expand, uh, and that's where your joy and your, and your um, fulfillment is going to come from. Mm. So the choice of just staying, leaving things as it is, it's going to become more and more painful until you have to you know, break out of the bud, so to speak. But I, I also feel that, um, you know, the joy of, the joy of forward movement of greater understanding and then applying that, that greater understanding to service in the world, that's where the action is. Mm -hmm. Is it, is there a big part of the program for you guys as well that, that puts that as far as like service into the world and, and action and Seva? Everything is that. Everything. So I think, you know, the, there's a misconception that I think people have about being of service. Mm -hmm. That, you know, you make a decision like, you know, today from 10 to 12 noon, I'm going to be of service. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm going to do my service work. And I, I think there's a, there's a shift that comes when you just decide to be of service, period. Mm -hmm. Everything you do is a service. Now, if you're a spiritual person or religious person, you might say, well, I want to do everything I can to be in service to God. Okay. I do everything I can to be in service to spirit. Um, I serve... I serve that all the time. So my words, all my actions, all my deeds. You can also just look at the attitude of service. I'm in the attitude of being of service all the time. So when I go to work, I want to serve the people around me, my colleagues. I want to serve my employer. I want to serve 
the mission of the company I'm working for. I want to serve the people that we serve as a company. So that's just an attitude of, well, I'm going to show up at work and I'm just going to be in service. Right. And, and that extends into every relationship that you have. That extends into everything that you do. It informs every decision of your life. So service becomes a 24-hour-a-day way of existing. But it's not depleting. It's not like, oh, my God, I, have to, I can't believe I have to be of service again. Um, you know, it's depleting me of my energy. I, this is horrible. No, that's, that means there's some codependency in there somewhere. Mm. That means there's, there's a boundary that's not being set or you're out of alignment, uh, in the way that you're serving or the way that you're being, which is depleting your energy because yes. Yeah. When you're truly in service, uh, in that attitude of service, you're in service the way that you appropriately can be for you. Right. Not just on terms. (laughs) Not just on terms, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> For the next two hours, I'm going to be Mother Teresa. And yeah. then after that, leave me alone. <laughs> In the Recovery 2.0 community, so we, I like, I like to think that we're known for our service, mm-hmm. um, that, that we generally live in a way where we're trying to add to the world rather mm-hmm. than take from it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I do, when I... I give an eight-week coaching program a couple times a year for people who want um, me to coach with them in groups, and we we put maybe a thousand people through that program a year, and those people get a direct sense of our philosophy, and in a sense, they're getting trained in in um, how to live uh, a life where you're thriving in recovery, mm-hmm. and then I train coaches. So we, we have a coach training program that's a different program where we actually train people to do the work that we're doing. And the emphasis the, is- the, the Recovery so, 2.0 coaches. Yes, exactly. Got it. Yeah. So we, our Recovery 2.0 yoga-informed coach training mm. is we train yoga teachers to become recovery coaches. Um, but really, that's another way of saying we train them to become leaders and to become excellent in helping people. Do a lot of these people that come to the program is, or are a lot of them, you know, like, I guess, substance abusers, like, uh, you know, yeah, substance abusers, or, or would you say the community is, is full of everybody, like codependency issues, whatever, food, whatever it may be. Everything shows up. Uh, I, I think, you know, the thing to point out is that in Recovery 2.0, the people who show up in our programs are either in recovery already or they have been and they've relapsed or they're just out of treatment, something like that. Mm. But very rarely do we wa- work with people who are in you know, abject active addiction. Got it. Okay. You know, there's no heroin addict or meth addict or cocaine addict or crack addict or alcoholic, severe alcoholic that's going to be attracted to what we're doing. It just, it wouldn't make sense for them at the point they're at in their life. They have to, if they want to change their life, then they're going to need to um, find primary treatment scenarios where they can heal that first stage of, you know, uh, and get into the first stage of recovery. Mm -hmm. And then, so, so everybody who comes to us are the people at sort of that next stage where they're like, okay, now what, how do we live this way? How do we live well? Like, you know, 
what does it mean to navigate a world like ours where you're actually trying to be more conscious rather than less conscious? What does it mean to, to go to a, a wedding or a funeral or a, a birth or a sporting event where you're, not, you're, you're the one who's not drinking? Mm. You know, what does it mean to, to live in California, for example, or any of the other states where cannabis is now legal to walk down the street and see people getting high? Like what, you know, how do you navigate that as a person who's decided not to do that? Mm. These are very real and very practical questions, and I love answering them. I mean, I love helping people to understand the value and the superpower that it is uh, to not use drugs and alcohol. Right. Yeah, especially today. Yeah, because it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every corner, literally. Yep. What's the most, I guess, rewarding thing or, or you know, I know you're so, you're so fueled by this work. You mm. know, you're so fueled by, by showing up in, in the way that you get to show up. You know, what, what is it about it? Mm. Well, I, I, I can answer that in two ways. Number one, there's a personality piece of it. Number two, there's a spiritual piece of it. So mm-hmm. first, the personality piece is, this is just personal to me. Um, I don't like accepting limitations. Mm. I never have. So I push boundaries. I bushwhack. Kia will tell you, my wife, she'll tell you, I'm a bushwhacker. I like to leave the trail. Got it. I, like, I like to find a way past perceived or self-imposed limitations. And so since we live in a society that celebrates and encourages certain limitations, which are not healthful or helpful, I like to push through that. So the work of Recovery 2.0 is disruptive. And I love it. I love, <laughs> oh man, it just serves, it serves, it serves my, that aspect of my personality um, to disrupt and to show people a better way uh, where we can have better outcomes and they can be free, truly, truly free. These are disruptive concepts mm. to old ideas of, you know, once an addict, always an addict. Um, or whatever that whatever the story is of you you know you need to be on medication for the rest of your life or or this is the only way to do it and you know we're our policy is this or we you know our our data proves that like yeah you know I'm going to push through all that now it doesn't mean I'm always right I might be wrong but I'm going to fu- I'm going to explore every possible outcome until I know that I'm wrong before I accept a limitation. Mm. So that serves me. Um, the second thing is the spiritual piece of this, which is I really should have died so many times. Same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I just shouldn't be here. Yeah. Um, when I look back and I think about the, you know, the almosts and the, and the, oh my God, how close, how close it was. And, and I can see now very clearly that my experience can actually be valuable to others. That my, my, um, the way that I see things, the things that I experienced, the way I understand addiction, I can really, really help a lot of people. And so I believe in my heart of hearts, I'm supposed to. So it's just, it's just rewarding um, to get to coach with people, to get to see people move beyond their own limitations, to, 
to get to see people heal, really truly heal, to see families come back together, um, to see people achieve a health goal or a financial goal or a career goal. Like that's very, very gratifying for me. Um, to see those things take place for people who have struggled in the way that I've struggled was well, just about the greatest thing in the world. So on a spiritual level, I do feel like there's a, there's on the one hand, there's a, I'm supposed to do this. On the other hand, it's like, I don't actually know what else I could possibly do on this planet. Mm. There's really nothing else for me to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's reminding people, as you're saying, and I'm just kind of in my head with it, but it's, it's reminding people of their birthright. It's reminding people of their joy and their, their, you know, their, their, I don't want to say their maximum potential, but like unlocking who they are truly, you know, meant to be. And, and, you know, when you're in alignment and attuned with all those things, everything just seems to be in flow state is what I like to call it. Absolutely. And, and, and showing somebody an access point to that flow state, that's also incredibly gratifying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to live there yourself most of the time, that's incredibly gratifying. Yeah, most of the time. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. No, that's, that's, I, I haven't, I haven't met the person who lives there all the time. No, I, I could totally do it, Tommy. I just don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, don't show us up, you know, don't show us up. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm personally, you know, I, I, I know I can speak for a lot of us out there. I, I, I've seen what you've done for this community for, for quite a while. I actually, you know, read your book way back in the day when I was struggling in life, um, you know, failed suicide attempt and, you know, couldn't, couldn't get enough drugs to shut everything off. Um, and your book was one of the ones that I actually touched and, uh, and a couple other things. And it finally, you know, when the timing was right, the, the things spoke to me when, when they were ready. But so, um, that's a long winded way of saying, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you didn't die all those times you should have. Thank you, Danny. I'm delighted to hear that. And, uh, that honestly means the world to me. So thank you. I'm so glad the book came into your life at that time. Yeah. We don't hear it enough. Sometimes we forget, you know, and, and so it's nice to, 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 just acknowledge it and let it be known. We're, yeah. we're glad you're doing the work that you're doing, Tommy. People need it. Thank you. It's fuel. It's fuel for my fire. Believe me, I need it. If people are interested or they have, you know, if they have, you know, or maybe even questioning, I know we can refer them to your site, but what would you say, you know, any words, if people are, are, are just inquiring within themselves about any of this stuff, you know, what, what would you say? The, if you're thinking about, you know, whether you have a drug or alcohol problem, if you're thinking about what life would be like without it, or if you could, if you could even, you know, find a way to be able to do that, it, it is a, it is a very strong indication that the, the, the universe, the powers that be your higher self, your heart, your heartfelt desire is actually to move in that direction. Mm. If you're even thinking about it, that is an indication that because I've never met the person who was thinking, you know, I'm I'm thinking whether I should stop drinking or not. The answer is always yes. Of course you should. Why? Because you're thinking about it. <laughs> totally. You know? And there's no other way. And 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 I'm not saying stop forever, mm -hmm. but at the very least, you want to have an experiment of 
let's start with 30 days. Like I'd like to see what it felt like after a month of not drinking. Mm-hmm. If you were to do that, number one, I can guarantee you, you'll feel better uh, on a physical level from just from the detoxification of that. Um, but beyond that, if you decided to go back to drinking, you would very, very quickly find out, wow, this has a profound effect on my mind and my body. Mm-hmm. And so you learn a lot there. Um, but also I would say, get involved with what we're doing if you're interested in a very broad perspective, a very inclusive and optimistic approach to recovery. Because you know it starts with you know, your breath, your body, your mind. Um, we have a couple of programs. One is a 14-day morning practice challenge. It's if people ask me all the time, if there was only one thing I could do to bring about a rapid and profound change in my life, what would you suggest? And I tell everybody, start a morning practice. Yeah. And they're like, well, how do you do that? And I'm like, I've got an answer for you. Take our morning practice challenge. It's a 14 day challenge. It's completely free. Just take the challenge. I give you a practice that you can do on video every day. I'll send you a little pep talk every day of the 14 days. And at the end of that 14 days, you will have had an experience of a 14-day morning practice, and you will be in a different place than when you began that. And then we can have a further discussion. We also have a, an incredible program called Life Upgrade, mm-hmm. and there is a, a small cost to that. I don't remember what it, I think it's $100. Okay. And that's me taking you through the Recovery 2.0 book. Got it. I shot a video for, every, for all 20 chapters of that book. Um, and so we go through it chapter by chapter to really, really get everything that that book has to offer and has a lot to offer. So those two programs, like those are easy things for anybody to do by themselves in the comfort of their own home. That can be very transformative and, and very helpful as you're sort of, sort of trying to figure things out or what's the next step for me or how do I move forward? Those things, very rapid, very quick, very effective. Yeah, and where am I at with all of it? Yeah. Yep, exactly. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Tommy, again, I, I, you know, I'll just say it one more time. I'm really glad you're here. <laughs> Thank you. It's, I'm uh, going to see you in India real soon. We are going to hang out for 10 days in India. Yeah. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> I might cry a couple times. That's great. I'll cry with you. <laughs> Amazing. We'll put it on Instagram so people know it really happened. <laughs> yeah. We gotta, you don't see yoga teachers crying enough next to each other. We need to do that. Oh, my God. I highly encourage it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for your time again, Tommy. I, I, and I appreciate it. I appreciate all the work you do. And I know that for someone out there, at least one person will, will take this and, and probably get something from it. So I, I really you, just appreciate you taking the time out. We finally did it. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Good. Well, I, I will see you really soon. And, and thank you for having me. Yeah, until uh, the next Yogi Misfit sessions, this is Danny and Tommy saying peace out. <laughs>